morning and welcome to the Barley Snyder COVID-19 Legal Update Podcast. If you are unfamiliar with us, Barley Snyder is a full-service business law firm with over 100 attorneys. My name is David Friedman and I will be your host today. I am a partner with Barley Snyder's Employment Law Group. Normally, I practice principally out of our firm's office in Lancaster, although currently I am, like many of you listeners out there, working out of my bedroom. The attorneys here at Barley Snyder have been tracking the COVID-19 crisis very closely. Obviously, these events are having staggering effects on our clients. Those effects range from business closures to new employment law requirements to workplace safety issues to layoffs to tax issues to government-issued loans and pretty much everything in between. We've been providing folks with a ton of information through our legal updates and client alerts, which are available uh, to anyone who has signed up to receive Barley Snyder's electronic newsletters. If anyone listening right now has not already signed up to receive those updates, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.barley.com. That's www.barley.com. You go there and you can sign up to receive those updates. So we've been pushing out legal updates at a frantic pace this past month regarding a number of different topics, but we thought this podcast might be a good idea for two reasons. First, the podcast will give us an opportunity to delve into specific issues in a little bit more detail than our alerts might allow us. Second, the podcasts are available for people to download and listen to at their convenience. Another thing before we get started, please, listeners, understand that the information provided during episodes of Barley Snyder's COVID-19 Legal Update podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or as a substitute for legal counsel. If you have questions about your legal situation or about how to apply information discussed in this episode to your situation, you should consult an attorney for assistance. With all of that out of the way, let's bring on our very first guest, ladies and gentlemen, that would be none other than Jennifer Craighead Carey. Cue applause. (laughs) Welcome, Jen. Uh, Jennifer Craighead Carey, as many of you probably already know, is a partner who is resident in the Lancaster office of Barley Snyder. Um, Jen also served for many, many years as the chair of our employment law group. She has more than two decades experience representing businesses in federal and state courts and counseling management regarding compliance with the full breadth of employment laws affecting the modern American workplace. Welcome to the show as our very first guest, Jen. Thank you, David. All right, Jen. So let's go back a month in time to Friday, March 13th. Uh, We all left work that Friday and we came back on Monday with a brand new federal law providing paid sick leave and a significant expansion of the Family Medical Leave Act. I mean, that's not how this normally happens, right? 
Well, Congress isn't known to act that quickly, typically, but yes, that's yeah. not how it normally happens. Uh, yeah, and Congress has uh, uh, been fighting about whether to require paid sick leave for years, so it's pretty shocking and unprecedented they came to an agreement on such a program over a weekend. Uh, before we delve into some of the details of that law, which is, of course, the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act, uh, I'd like to just go through some of the basic outlines of what that law requires. Uh, first, the law applies to employers with 500 or less employees, and it requires covered employers to provide 14 days paid sick leave to covered employees, provided that the leave is one for one of the qualifying reasons, which are um, because the employee is isolating or in quarantine in response to a governmental order. Uh, the employee has been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine due to concerns regarding COVID-19. The employee is experiencing COVID-19 symptoms and is seeking a medical diagnosis. The employee is caring for an individual who is in quarantine, has been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine, or is seeking a medical diagnosis of COVID-19 symptoms or the employee is caring for a child whose school or daycare has closed due to COVID-19 precautions. Now, that's the paid sick leave side of the equation. Then there's the expansion of the Family Medical Leave Act, which provides the new expansion provides an additional 10 weeks of paid leave for employees who are caring for children who are at home due to a school closure. There are different pay levels required for different types of leave. Employees taking paid sick leave due to their own health conditions are paid at 100% of their normal rate of pay up to a maximum of $511 per day and a total maximum payout of $5,110. Employees taking leave to care for someone else, including children who are home from school or daycare, that leave is paid at two-thirds the normal rate up to a $200 per day maximum with the total maximum payout of $12,000. And I should add that all of these requirements, they expire on December 31st, 2020, unless Congress and the president agree to an expansion before then. So I suppose my first question to you, Jen, is who's going to pay for all this? I mean, is this coming right out of a covered employer's payroll expenses? So there should be no cost to the employer to fund this. There is a payroll tax credit that should result in the employer receiving a 100% credit for the qualifying leave payments. Uh, the employer can take a credit against any deposit of payroll taxes for the qualifying leave payment. So again, there should be no out-of-pocket expenses to the employer. So how does that payroll tax credit work? I mean, you know, with a, a regular FMLA, what I'll call regular in air quotes there, FMLA, obviously employers can require under certain circumstances that employees provide a certification of their need for family medical leave. Uh, there's not a corresponding ability for an employer to get a certification of leave under the the paid leave requirements of the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act, right? Um, that's, that's correct, but there are documentation requirements that the employer can require the employee to comply with, and in fact, they're going to need certain documentation in order to take advantage of the payroll tax credit. So what kind of documentation is required? The employer can require a signed statement from the employee with the employee's name, 
the dates for which the leave is being requested, the COVID-19 qualifying reason for leave, and a statement from the employee that the employee is unable to work or telework because of the COVID-19 qualifying reason. And then there are additional requirements that may apply depending on the reason for the leave. So for example, if the employee has been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine because of COVID-19, the employee must also provide the name of the healthcare provider who's advised the employee to self-quarantine. If the employee is caring for a child whose school is closed or because childcare is unavailable, the employee must also provide the name of the school or place of childcare and a statement that no other person, suitable person is available to care for the child during the period leave is requested. The employer should also require the employee to provide the notice uh, from the school or daycare center, and that can be via an email, a link to a website, or even a publication in the newspaper. Uh, the other thing is that IRS payroll tax credit guidance states that if the child is older than 14 and the employee is claiming an inability to work during daylight hours or an inability to telework, the employee must provide a statement that special circumstances exist requiring the employee to provide care for that older child, although special circumstances are not specifically defined. And to take advantage of the payroll tax credit, the employer should retain all of this documentation for its records. Yeah, because it might have to present that to the IRS at some later date, correct? That's correct. And they need to retain those records, I believe, for a period of four years. Okay. How does the paid sick leave requirement under the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act interact with the expanded family and medical leave that's available under that new law? This is a little bit confusing. So an employee may take 80 hours of extended sick leave under the FFCRA if the employee is subject to a federal, state, or local quarantine or isolation order related to COVID-19, and the regulations provide that a quarantine or isolation order includes a broad range of orders, including shelter-in-place and stay-at-home orders. So on its face, Governor Wolf's stay-at-home order would certainly apply. However, an employee may only take paid sick leave if being subject to the stay-at-home order prevents the employee from working or teleworking. The issue is whether the employee would be able to work or telework, but for being required to comply with Governor Wolf's order. Further, the comments in the regulations to the FFCRA provide that an employee subject to a stay-at-home order may not take paid sick leave where the employee does not, where the employer does not have work for the employee. Uh, this is because the employee would be unable to work even if the employee were not required to comply with the order. Consequently, if a business is forced to shut down because of a government order or does not have work available to an employee because of a government order, the employee is not eligible for the leave due to the stay-at-home order. So if you are a non-essential business and the employee is not able to work or telework, you would not be eligible for the expanded paid sick leave. Finally, if the employer has work available either in the office or working from home, the employee cannot take advantage of the stay-at-home order because the stay-at-home order doesn't prevent the employee from working. So for example, 
we're lawyers, we can't go into the office, but we're able to telework um, even with the governor's stay-at-home orders. So the expanded sick leave would not apply. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Now, does this time off under the new law replace time off for the reasons that leave is allowed for under, again, using the air quotes, traditional FMLA leave? It doesn't replace the reasons allowed for under traditional FMLA leave. So if an employee has a qualifying reason to take leave under the traditional FMLA, they are... uh, they are permitted to take that. They're still permitted to take that. So it's, it's more like a, a supplement of traditional FMLA leave, at least for those employers that are covered by both the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act and uh, the traditional FMLA, which applies normally to private sector employers who have more than 50 or more employees. That's um, correct. Okay. So uh, Now, just shifting gears a little bit here, the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act says that it applies to most businesses with less than 500 employees. Is there any loosening of those rules for smaller employers? Yes, there is a small business exemption under the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. And and how does that exemption work? What documentation is required? So the small business exemption would apply to businesses with fewer than 50 employees, and they uh, would be exempt from the requirement to provide leave if they can demonstrate that providing the leave would jeopardize the vitality of the business as an ongoing concern. Now, in order to take advantage of this exemption, according to the regulations, and authorized officer of the business has to determine that the leave would result in the business's expenses and financial obligations exceeding available business revenue and cause the small business to cease operating at a minimal capacity, or the absence of the employee would entail a substantial risk to the financial health or operational capabilities of the business because of the person's specialized skills knowledge of the business or responsibilities, or finally, there are not sufficient workers who are able, willing, and qualified and who would be available at the time and place needed to perform the labor or services provided by the employee or employees requesting leave, and these labor or services are needed for the small business to operate at a minimal capacity. So there are basically three different um, provisions that you could rely on to show that it would jeopardize the vitality of the business as an ongoing concern. In order to elect this exemption, the employer has to document that a determination has been made uh, pursuant to one of those three criteria. And the employer is not required to send the documentation to the Department of Labor, but they have to retain the records uh, in their files. Uh, So again, you know, these are records for potential responses in the future to requests from government regulatory agencies. That's correct. All right. So are there any special rules under the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act that apply to employers of healthcare providers and first responders? Yes, healthcare providers and first responders may... um, or employers of healthcare providers and first responders may exempt those individuals from 
the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Uh, and it should be noted that healthcare provider is defined very broadly under the act to include, among others, anyone who's employed at a doctor's office, hospital, healthcare center, clinic, nursing home, or retirement facility. So not necessarily folks who are involved in direct patient care. I mean, that could be folks as well as receptionists and janitors and people like that, right? That's correct. Okay, interesting. I wasn't aware of that. So if an employer employs healthcare providers, may, the, may that employer pick and choose which types of leave to provide if they have under that exemption? So employers are permitted to exclude healthcare providers from employees eligible to take leave under the act. Uh, the, the regulations state that employers are to be judicious in granting leave. Healthcare providers can decide for themselves whether to include or exclude certain classes of employees within the paid sick leave program. But once the employer decides to include a class of employees as covered under the program, then the employer has to provide those employees with the full breadth of paid sick leave under the act, um, even if it chooses not to provide the expanded FMLA leave. Also keep in mind that even if a healthcare provider is excluded under the act, the provider may still be eligible for other leave under the FMLA or leave as a reasonable accommodation under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Excellent point. Uh, Very important to keep that in mind. Uh, Jen, I know for a fact there's a lot more we could unpack regarding the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act's paid leave requirements, but uh, I need to let you get back to saving the world. So (laughs) I'm going to let you go. Seriously, though, thank you very much, Jen, for that helpful information. Uh, Before we sign off, folks, I just want to let our listeners know that Law 360 is reporting that it has confirmed with the United States Equal Employment Opportunities Commission that the agency has effectively suspended issuing notices of right to sue during the COVID-19 outbreak. The EEOC is, of course, the federal agency charged with enforcing many employment laws, including those prohibiting discrimination on the basis of race, gender, pregnancy, national origin, disability, and age, a whole lot there. Uh, Normally, folks who wish to sue their employers must punch their ticket to court by going before the EEOC first getting that uh, notice of right to sue, at which point folks would have 90 days to file suit in federal court. Um, So the fact that the EEOC has suspended issuing those notices of right to sue could mean a lot less new federal employment discrimination lawsuits are filed during the COVID-19 crisis. When pressed for comment about why they made the decision, a spokesman for the EEOC responded that the agency did not want to compel people to, quote, choose between jeopardizing their safety and protecting their rights, end quote. Uh, The fact is, though, that the EEOC is still accepting new complaints filed online and the agency is still investigating complaints already filed with it. Well, that's all the time we have for now. I want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to our inaugural episode. And I want to, in particular, thank Jennifer Craighead Carey for being our very first guest on this program. Please feel free to reach out to Jennifer or any of the attorneys in Barley Snyder's Employment Law Group if you need additional guidance regarding leave requirements under the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act or the Family Medical Leave Act. 
Contact information can be found on our website, which again is www.barley.com. That's www.barley.com. If there is a particular topic that you would like us to address in a future episode, please send an email to covid19podcast at barley.com. That's C-O-V-I-D. One nine P O D C A S T at B A R L E Y dot C O M. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode addressing a new topic. In the words of the great Dr. Dre, until the next episode. Barley Snyder's COVID nineteen show.